Hi, I am Dennis Buckles, and welcome to I Want You to Watch This, which is a movie review podcast where I get together with some of my friends and review a movie that one of us has selected. Uh, This is the first episode ever, as well as the first time any of us have done something like this, so we are still figuring out some kinks. For instance, this episode we neglect to introduce ourselves or even explain the movie clearly. That said, I recommend that you watch the movie Inside Lewin Davis before listening to this episode. And uh, I am Dennis Buckles, and the person I will be talking with is uh, Colin Munch. So, uh, without further ado, enjoy. Cool. Um, so yeah, Inside Lewin Davis. Yes. The 2013 movie done by the Cohen brothers that kind of slipped through the cracks for both of us. Uh, well, I was aware of it when it came out. I knew that it was out there, but the only place you could see it in, like, the Denver area was it was playing at, what's the name of that, like, one theater down on, uh, like, 6th Avenue that shows, like, the... Oh, Esquire or yeah. something like that? it was showing at the Esquire at, like, 11.30 at night on a Tuesday. Oh, yeah, fuck that. And it's like, okay, as much as I love the Coen Brothers and I really want to see this, like, I'm not going to go see this at 11.30 <laughs> on a Tuesday. But I had largely forgotten about it until it popped up on... Um, Amazon, and then I was like, oh, I gotta watch this, and I kept putting it off, putting it off, and I got off work early one day, and I was like, oh, I'm gonna watch Inside Llewyn Davis, and I love this movie to kind of an insane degree. (laughs) (laughs) So do I, and it snuck up on me, because I didn't, honestly, like, I got, like, halfway through the movie, and I was like, why am I watching this movie about this piece of shit, and, like, Llewyn Davis, who is just kind of this raging piece of shit, (laughs) he's a really talented musician, but... (laughs) There is not an aspect about him that is likable. Like, I don't necessarily think there's nothing likable about him. I think he he is kind of likable. And one of the things that you don't necessarily pick up on, and it, t- it wasn't until my second viewing that I was like, oh, there is a little bit of justification for some of the, like, the really shitty things he does, is that people aren't really acknowledging that his partner threw himself off of a bridge. Right. Like, there's the, the scene with, like, the couple who's like always putting him up and stuff and the woman starts singing his partner's part and he freaks out and he's like don't do that right it's like well yeah you're singing the part of his partner who threw himself off a bridge right and and i think that was probably the moment that i really fell in love with the movie was uh you know you're you're trying to figure there's something about this guy that like is i mean you're you're enwrapped by him and like and before you discover like anything really to to get behind him, you're still in love with him, and you want him to, like, do good and, like, like be better off. But, it, it, uh, like, you're right. I think, it, I think it was the moment when you, you learn about his past and, uh, and um, what he was doing before this whole movie, um, where you really get a sense of him. Um, so, yeah, I, th- I, think, I think that was probably the turning point for me, at least. Um... So I have a few notes. I don't know if you do, Cullen. This I, is... I wasn't prepared for this. <laughs> so this is... A... I have a lot I can say about this movie, but it's not structured or planned out anymore. Well, none of, none of this is <laughs> fucking set in stone. So we'll just, uh, let's just, we'll just use uh, these series of notes as kind of a guide for like points to, uh, to pay attention to. I mean, I made these notes like right after the movie was done, and I was like, oh, fuck, I need to talk about this movie in depth and um we me and colin have been talking at length for quite a while to start a podcast so here's our attempt to do that 
Um, so, yeah, um, I guess, what, we should go over the synopsis real quick? Like, well, just kind of the kind of general did. story? Um, what half like, one of the things I really like about this movie, or, or what really strikes me is, like, as much as I, I love it, not really anything happens in this movie. No. Like, he is staying with these people, he's kind of couch surfing, he's, a, like, a, a real bum, because he's, you know, isn't financially successful, so he's going from couch to couch to couch, uh, he has the cat of these people whose house he's been staying at because it escaped when he was trying to get out and the door locked behind him. That's kind of the first, like, drama moment of the movie, is like, yeah, he's got, he's... Okay, now he's gotta take care he's of gotta, this cat. He's got this fucking cat, and, like, I mean, it's a cat, and it's New York City, so, like, that's possible. And so, like, there's that, and then he, you know, returns the cat to them, and then he ends up recording an album with, uh, Justin Timberlake, who's awesome in this movie. Mm. Um, and... Uh, side note, I had no idea that that was Justin Timberlake until Colin said that that was fucking Justin Timberlake. Do you Timberlake. know who the other guy was? No. Adam Driver. Oh, get the fuck out! You're right! <laughs> yeah. Holy so he's, shit! He's Al Cody! Session. Yeah, yeah. Al Cody is Ugh. Kylo Ren. Wow. So he's, wow. he's recording a session with Justin Timberlake and Kylo Ren. Um, <laughs> and then he stays with with well, Al Cody. But but he's he's uh he's a uh, also in Star Wars. Yes. So technically, it's a rebel fighter pilot <laughs> recording, rebel fighter a, pilot is recording a song with Justin song, Timberlake Justin and Timberlake Kylo Ren. And Kylo Ren. <laughs> but, so he, he goes and he stays with Al Cody, and Al Cody's unloading this car and says, well, this car is heading to Chicago. And so Lewin takes a trip to Chicago, where um, he's basically helping pay for gas with John Goodman, who is amazing in this as he is in every Coen Brothers movie that he's in. Right. Um, and this really weird guy who's just like Johnny Five. See, this is the part of the movie where I felt like it was a Homer epic. Because it was like, he, all of a sudden, you know, because of, uh, well, the catalyst for him going to Chicago was the, um, was the big hoopla at the, um, the professor's house, where, like... It's part that, and it's part that he wants to go meet with this producer... Right. ...who he's hoping will, uh, take him on. Right. And, and so, and so he's, he's in this car ride, it was like this road trip from New York to Chicago with, uh, this, uh, with John Goodman, who's playing this character, who's like this, for lack of a better description, this is like a... Obvious, like, he's like a drug addict weirdo who's an and, asshole? And he's a jazz musician. And okay, he's yeah. Like, he's a jazz he's musician. He's kind of this weird larger-than-life figure who, who who's really the role that they put John Goodman into in a lot of things. Right. Like, like in Barton Fink, he's like the devil and stuff. You know? Well, yeah, but and like, even in No Brother as the Cyclops, he's, he's like... He's the Cyclops and No Brother, like a right. lot of these things. But, um... So he goes on this road trip, and he goes, and he meets with this producer in Chicago, and this guy... Basically tells him, yeah, you're a good singer, but there's no money to be had here. Why don't you go back to working with your partner? Right. <laughs> like, throwing it back <laughs> yeah. into the of Like, oh, yeah, your partner committed suicide. But, but also there, he, the, the, that producer guy, well, he says that your social, your solo act isn't good. He offers him a gig. He does. He, he, he offers, offers him, him a gig for, to be in a, in a trio. And, and this is, goes back to, like, the whole thing about we, he's likable, 
kind of, even though he's constantly making terrible decisions. Right. Like, he's... He's always shooting himself in the Because foot. he's, like, he has this idea of his artistic merit and how much it's better than all these other things. And even the, the session that he records with uh, Justin Timberlake is this... He's sitting there going, like, hey, I appreciate the gig and all, but who wrote this? Right. And it turns out that that's, like, the most successful song like, he goes right. back to meet with the couple again and like, we heard that pressing of, yeah. Dear, please, Mr. Kennedy. And, and he turns down the royalties. <laughs> and he turns down the royalties because he wants the money right away right. instead of having to go through his manager. Right. And, uh, yeah. So, it, uh, he, so, yeah, let's just wrap up kind of the, the, the quote-unquote okay. so, story. So, yeah, he, he comes back from Chicago. Um, oh, we left out the whole thing that he um, meets with the girlfriend of Justin Timberlake's character, who he has impregnated. Right. And so he has to get an abortion for... He has to pay for an abortion for her. Right. This um, happens before uh, This happens Chicago. before the Chicago trip. Um, but he comes back to New York, and he meets up again with the same couple who he had the falling out with before, and they take him back in and all this stuff. And it, the movie has a cold open where he's getting beaten up in an alley by some guy and we find out why that happened is that the, he was heckling this guy's wife right at, at, at the end of the movie he's heckling this guy's wife um and he's like super duper drunk but it's kind of it's so all right but before we get there <laughs> he gets <laughs> uh comes back from chicago uh, he's really disillusioned about his whole music career, and he decides to, what, enlist? No, he wants to go back to the day job that he had, which was working in the Merchant Marines. Um, I don't really know what that is. Okay. I, I think it's kind of an old-timey thing, but it's like a type of deal where you ship out on a, a boat for an extended period of time doing some sort of work, some sort of, like, I think it's shipping. Okay. But he's gonna go back to work with the Merchant Marines... And he's trying to get that going, but everything is screwed up right. because he told his sister to throw away this box right. of old stuff that had his license in it. Because the, the whole thing is this guy, you know, he keeps trying to... You think he's setting himself up for success, but he does these other things that shoots himself in the foot and it's like this, like, you know, self-realizing prophecy of just going nowhere. Um, and so then the movie ends um, how it begins with... Uh, uh, you know, with the cold open, where with him getting beat with up the, in an alleyway, him getting beat up in and an you kind of see the end of it as he just kind of stumbles his way out to the street. And right. So that's where, um, and then it, and then it ends, and um, it's it's very stunning because it's kind of it's a, a to me um, this is my first note is uh, it, is it, it's a looped ending. So is it a looped ending or is it just? Like, why did they do that, do you think? Like, why did they Why did they put the end at the beginning? I don't really know. I mean, they might just be trying to say that he's falling into, like, a repetitive cycle. That it's, he, by doing a cold open that is the ending, they're just saying, oh, he, this is all gonna just keep happening to him. But that's, as far as I thought about it, I don't, uh, I don't really know if they've done that in any other movies, where they've started... No. In. I can't recall. Um, I feel I, I agree with you. I think I think uh, the significance of that was. Um, uh, I'm sorry, just checking for recording still. <laughs> uh, 
Yeah, I, th- I thought the significance of of uh, ending where it began was was just that was that like uh, show that he's in a cycle of right. this destruction because at the beginning I mean that that whole instant that felt like that's how the movie began so to see it at the end that was like whoa is this some weird like trippy like <laughs> Christopher Nolan movie where it's like the ending is the beginning and the beginning is the end and there the time is a loop <laughs> but no I'm I was just high. Um, so yeah, I thought that was I thought that was interesting. Um, I have another note here. Uh, uh, the significance of the cat. What do you think that was about? Um, I obviously you know it was a, it was a burden that was placed on him, you know, from a stupid you know just they want to give him that. But I I almost wonder if it's the Coen brothers kind of taking a piss out of Hollywood in a little bit of a way because there's a very famous screenwriting book called Save the Cat mm. where it. Basically, one of the premises of it is that you have to show your protagonist or your hero doing something heroic or nice. And, like, one of the prime examples is he saves a cat. Right. And to, to get the audience on the protagonist's side. Yeah. But then they they throw that away by him abandoning the cat <laughs> in a car with a the o- side of the road with a man who's with in an a overdose overdose. <laughs> but then, then he hits the cat... Like, another ginger cat. Like, this, there's a ginger cat, like, cursing him throughout well, this movie. Well, one of my favorite things in the movie, and it, it was one of the first times there was like, oh, there really is some good Coen Brothers humor in this, as much as it's a, a kind of bleak movie, um, was when he goes, when he has the meltdown with the couple who he's staying with. And he's bringing, he's going there, he doesn't even want to stay there, he's bringing them back their cat, and he wants to get out of there, and they rope him into dinner. And the woman starts singing his partner's part. He freaks out and is like, don't do that. And she runs away crying. And then she screams <laughs> from the bedroom. And she comes back, this isn't our cat. He's like, it's not even the right gender. And then the line that just had me in stitches and just being like, that is the most Coen Brothers line was, where's the scrotum, scrotum Lewin? <laughs> where's the scrotum? <laughs> And, uh, and like, and it ends that scene on that word, so it just like rings in your head. <laughs> it's amazing. It's it, you're right. That's like the most Colored Brothers moment. So, so I think that might be why they did the cat, but I don't know if it's that or if they just wanted to have him have some sort of obstacle at the beginning of the movie that he has to deal with. But but one of the things that came to my mind was like, oh, they're doing save the cat, but then he doesn't at all. <laughs> <laughs> Right, yeah, uh, he he doesn't. He just he look. He there's he this tries. there's this extended shot he, where he's staring at the cat and he just shuts the car yeah, door on it. He really tries. To he does. The he's dragging the cat around like everything city. else in his life and in the story is that he's just fucking up. Like he's he's really trying hard, but he's a fuck up. Right. He he's just a, he's just a fuck up. So. Um, my notes from there is, um, I, I, I'd love to go back to, uh, Goodman's character and, and his chauffeur, because, again, I felt like this is, like, where the movie, and it might be because, like, I'm just, for some reason, I, like, I don't know, to me, it really felt like it was, like, this is when I texted you that I thought this was, like, you a You thought it was epic. based on something. Right, yeah. I thought it was based on, yeah. like, some old tale that was written by, like, like, Aesop or something. Yeah, for all I know, it might be. It's just... It, in Oh Brother, Where Art Thou, it's so blatant it and is, obvious right. that it's the Odyssey. Right. But um, this might be based on something that I'm unaware of, but mm. it, as far as I know. It's uh, it, it also couldn't be because the Coen brothers are actually that fucking good that um, they yeah. can, you know... Because it's, it's so... 
Like, those characters are so stark from all the other peripheral characters that he comes across. Like, they're, like, caricatures on themselves, you know? Like, yeah. the chauffeur doesn't say shit. Well, he, and he does. He has, like, one... He has one monologue. One little monologue that just, I had to turn on the captions for. Right. Because it's, he's speaking so gruffly and, like, so quietly that you're like, oh, what is he even saying? Right. But then he's just talking about acting in a play that got shut down by the cops and... Then he gets arrested. Oh, God! Yeah. Him getting arrested is amazing. So, so Lewin Davis is passed out in the car, and he comes to with someone knocking on the glass. And he looks over, and the driver, the chauffeur, is passed out, as well as John Goodman in the back seat. So everyone's asleep in the car, and they're pulled on the, off side, of the, on the side of the road. And so this cop is, like, tapping on the window to ask him what the fuck is going on. And so the chauffeur, like, gives him shit. Like, immediately gives the cop crap. And so the cop pulls him out of the car, handcuffs him... Throws him in his cruiser and just peels away. And, and as the cop is uh, is uh, putting the handcuffs on him, he's like, "I've been in your jails. This won't work." <laughs> I missed that. It's so great. And then Lewin is just stuck there. He's like, "Okay, do I steal this car and continue driving back to New York?" And he he really doesn't think he can do that, so he abandons the cat because or, or really, Chicago, or, or no, he's on his way back to no, he's on his way to Chicago because that's when he has to hitchhike there, and then how he gets back from Chicago is that guy's like, hey man, I haven't slept in seventy two hours. Oh we right, drive the right, whole way, right. we can yeah, make exactly. it. Exactly, <laughs> he's back from Chicago, and the other guy's like, hey, I haven't slept, but if you drive the whole way, <laughs> we can make it, brother. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're right, you're right. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so he just like leaves the cat, and then he hitches the rest of the way to Chicago. And uh, yeah, and so he's there's like a few scenes of him being a deadbeat in Chicago, which um, yeah, I don't have any notes on. But well, um, uh, it's not necessarily that particular to the movie. It's just continuing the thing right. Of it's him just being a how his lifestyle is. That yeah. he's just <laughs> like he's he's steps in a puddle and his socks are cold and he are wet and cold and he goes into a diner. And, like, all he's doing is coffee, but he's, just, like, just trying to sit there for as long as he can. He's until to dry the out his shoes. comes up right. and he's like, we're changing shifts. <laughs> pay your ticket. Um, <clears throat> so, um, I thought the, the scene with visiting his dad was, was awesome. Um, I love that scene. I, I, I loved it because it was, you know, it was one of those, like, unspoken kind of things that the Coen brothers are so good at. Even though this movie is just, it, it, it's almost like, it's almost like a giant, uh, like, music video, almost for, like, folk songs. Because, kind of, it's, because it's, it's got so many pieces of music that they play from beginning to end. And it, it's really well done. It, it's not, like, a full-blown musical, which I would love to see the Coen brothers try oh, their God, hand at. Oh, God, that would be amazing. But it, it really is, there's such a loose story to it, where it's it's mostly just him drifting from musical set piece to musical set right. piece, right? And uh, so it's like a, it's like a it's like a music video to me. It's like it's like a you know of like cheesy folk songs or whatever. But they're not cheesy. They're really no. Good. They're really good folk songs. And but, and so in the scene where he's visiting his dad, who's he's in he's in this like a he's in a like a retirement home, and his dad seems like pretty you know geriatric and not all there. And so he plays him a song that you know he knows his dad will love. And <laughs> what I love about the scene is that you know, he finishes the song and like. And it, it pans on, you know, his dad and everything, and then... And his dad, like, throughout this whole thing, we've cut to these great reaction shots of his dad, and just, like, his dad is, like, really moved, but he's, like, a real stoic guy, right. but he's also 
not all there. He's, right. No, he's, no, no, he's, he's not in, all there. And he, but he's, you know, having to play all these things and these reactions to it. Right. And then, it, and then the scene ends where, um, his dad shits his pants. <laughs> yeah. And so, Blue and Dave, Blue and Dave has to go out and find a nurse. I love his reaction. Is like, he's like, <laughs> that was how powerful the reaction to the song was. It's like, oh my God. Right. Oh my God. And but, then he has to go out and get, yeah. like, a nurse or an orderly to come clean his dad up. But, Moving into this is all those scenes where he's trying to go back into the Merchant Marines. Right. And the whole thing is, um, he's going through all this favor, and every person he interacts with is like, Davis, are you this guy Davis' son? Yeah. <laughs> so you get the sense that his dad was in the Merchant Marines for, like, his entire career. Forever and ever and ever and ever, yeah. Um, and the song that he sings him is, like, an old, like, sea shanty type of thing. It's a folk song, but it's it's a... Folk song about being a sailor. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it seems like there's a lot of there's a lot of maritime references in his, in the music that he plays too. Yeah. Um, and and that's what I love about the movie because it, it like there's like these little snippets that like go into like a world that's even larger than what this movie is providing for you. And it's not like you even need any of that information. It's just like it's just great. It's just so much great world building and um and, and even like the the please Mr. Kennedy song. No, the one that he's, uh, like, shitting on. He's being like, oh, well, who wrote this? I still love that song. Oh, it's great. I think that song is great. And I love the, the scene of them rehearsing it where Justin Timberlake has given him the, like, oh, yeah, do the pa-pa-pa here, but we just cut to Adam. Also, we just show Adam Driver is practicing these different ways of doing outer space. Where yeah. <laughs> Adam Driver's like, outer space! <laughs> and... But there's just a the thing, like, he's, do, okay, but if I do the pa-pa-pa, and then Adam Driver's in there, he's going, out... Out, out. <laughs> there's like no musicality at all. It's like, like he, it, yeah. It seemed like he was like touched in the head or something like that, but it, it wasn't the case. Um, and so uh, from there, um, I'd like to talk about uh, uh, briefly his sister. His sister seems like the the grounding force throughout this movie. Um, like his friends and and you know um, Jean specifically, the the woman he knocks yeah, up. Like, um, she's, she's, she's real, uh, but she's so mad and angry at him that you don't get beyond that. And yeah, with, that's, that's the one relationship I wish we had, or the character rather, that I wish we had delved a little bit. Right, into. I wish there was like at least like, just one more scene with them. I want to see more about her relationship with Justin Timberlake. Right. Oh, yeah, 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 I would love that too. Um, and like, yeah, like, yeah, uh, I love, I'd love to see that. But, but the sister I really like because she's like the grounding rod. She's kind of like the audience member that's in this movie where it's like, okay, why don't you get your shit together type of thing, you know? And, uh, and I just, I mean, it's really short scenes. I think there's only like two. There's or like two scenes. Yeah. And, uh, but I just, I just thought that that was like really cool because. But they're both really good because yeah. she's like just this middle class housewife and like you get the sense of that she loves him but he's very much just a burden right in her life yeah having to uh, this whole thing of like glad the music's going good right you don't need money right <laughs> yeah, yeah like she totally knows why he's there and yeah and uh she just she's just totally burned out on him but you know she loves him and so that's why you know she lets him in his house in her house and everything yeah and she's constantly like telling him correcting on his language because she doesn't want him cursing around her son right and things like um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> even when the sun isn't even in the scene, she's like harping on them for watching his language. Um, alright, uh, and my, uh, one of my last notes is, uh, the, I, I felt like 
the conversation with Gene about how he was tired and done with performing, um, and and uh, she she gets him the gig at the at the bar that they all play at. Um, even though he wasn't, he, he, he wasn't really allowed to play there, you know, because of time issues or whatever, but she, she, she got him a gig there and she really didn't have to, you know? And I, I just thought this was a really cool scene because it shows someone like, it shows some real love that, that like, that Lewin Davis is expressing for another person and, and someone else is, is reciprocating. It. The, the one, one of the things you really get from this movie is about... As much as she, like, hates him and stuff, that there's a real camaraderie amongst the folk scene. Right. That they're all, like, really in this together. Like, he's really good buddies with Justin Timberlake. And, right. And like, he gets that gig because Justin Timberlake is like, okay, you need money, come on and, right. and record this session with me. Um, he's kind of shitty to, like, the army guy, but that's because he's not from New York. He's, like, coming in from out of town. Right, he's, like, a southern dude, and he's all prim and proper. And But it's, you know, he's he's a stranger to Jim and Jane, but Jim and Jane let this, you know, this stranger army guy crash on their house in their house and everything yeah. so and, yeah and, you're right i think that is interesting this and is i love that guy musicians. and that guy is like super nice like the whole thing is like like <laughs> she's telling lewin lewin do you think that you're staying here tonight and he's like no because this guy is staying here tonight and it's like well i could just hitch back to fort dix after the show <laughs> <laughs> no lewin can sleep on the floor you have the couch he's like i'm okay with that alternatively I could hitch back to Fort Dick. Okay, it's great, and 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 he sings a beautiful song. Like yeah. everyone else in this movie, they're they're all amazing in this singers movie is amazing. and musicians. And this brings me to one of the things I really want to talk about with this is that, as if we didn't admire Oscar Isaac enough, if you saw Ex Machina and weren't like, "Wow, Oscar Isaac is amazing." If you saw Star Wars and were like, wow, Oscar Isaac is amazing, you have to throw in like, oh yeah, he's also like crazily talented musically. Right. Because he sings and plays. And plays. Like it, throughout this entire movie. And and each time he does, you're just like, man, I need this album. <laughs> exactly. You're, you're like, I really want to just own the album from this movie. And just think about if you're Oscar Isaac right now in the career that you're having. Like, in the past, what, three years, oh. you've been in Ex Machina, Star Wars, and this. Right. I mean, you've worked with some of the best directors and some of the best up-and-coming directors and production companies. Yeah. And you're in these critically acclaimed, these two, like, really good critically acclaimed movies that aren't necessarily, like, hugely seen, but are, like, really, really solid and have, like, vast critical acclaim, and then you're in the biggest movie of the last, <laughs> like... 50 years. <laughs> right? Yeah. It was massive. Um, so that, that was pretty much the movie. Um, I, there, there's, there's one more point that I want to bring up is, um, is and, and it's something that we touched on when, when I first finished it, we were texting back and forth is, uh, is why do we love him? Um, we love him throughout this movie. It's, it's, you even can't deny it. Even yeah. though he's, there's really, I mean, no specific instance that would make you really like this person. But, um, I don't know. It's, um, I feel like we've all been there. I feel like yeah. we've all been, you know, down and out and just beating yourself up. So you beat up those around you. And, um, and he's just so real. He, he's very real, but he's also somehow sympathetic. And it's <laughs> one of the realizations I had, because you were talking about, like, why do I like this guy? He's such a piece of shit. And I was like, 
It's because the, it, I was like, wow, this movie is just like a really, really good Sting Alive. <laughs> when you said that, I was like, oh my god, it is Sting Alive. Because <laughs> it is. <laughs> it's so much just Sting Alive, but good. But and, no, like great. Because yes. <laughs> Sting Alive is terrible. <laughs> Because Staying Alive is also in a movie where it's like we're just going around seeing all of these musical performances and, and all this stuff. Right. <laughs> but yeah, it's so much Staying Alive. Yeah, but instead of talentless John Travolta being a piece of shit, it's, it's this Oscar extremely Isaac's talented Oscar amazing. Isaac being like a lovable piece of shit. You're right. A lovable yeah. piece of shit, I think, would be the best description for him. Um, I would like to end, though. <laughs> I do have one more thought. Uh, this is my stoner thought of this, of, uh, this podcast. Um, is, uh, John Goodman says a line, <laughs> and it stuck with me, because, um, I thought he cast a spell on him. <laughs> uh, when Lewin Davis is... Oh, is, yeah, I know exactly what you're yeah. I know exactly but, what you're So there's a, po- there's a point when, when he's in the car driving to Chicago with, with John Goodman and Goodman's chauffeur, and, uh, it's, it's Lewin Davis's turn to drive, so the chauffeur's passed out, so it's just John Goodman talking to Lewin Davis. And John Goodman has been... Just shitting on folk music and right. folk musicians being like, I'm a jazz musician, there's 12 notes in a scale, not three chords, and... Right, just being an outright asshole, and like, just, I mean, like, calling him names, and just being mean, you know, and, and, uh, and Lewin Davis, uh, is so Goodman has a cane, and so Lewin Davis finally gets fed up, and he's like... And, and John Goodman is like repeatedly tapping Lewin on the shoulder <laughs> with, his, with cane. his cane from the back seat. Right, like it annoys you as an audience member, and you're not, I mean, you're like, it's God, terrible. <laughs> and, and so Lewin Davis turns around and he's like, uh, how much of that cane will be sticking out when I shove it up your ass or something like that? And Goodman, you know, is just, he's all taken aback and he gets all weird and He's like, he starts talking about how he's like, I learned some spells from a Louisiana witch doctor, and you won't even know what hit you, and, you know, maybe, you know, one day you'll wake up and your side hurts, or maybe your life is just shit, and it always has been, and you don't know why, and meanwhile, I'll be laughing halfway across the planet, and... It stuck with me because and you're wondering if there is, if he is actually a supernatural character, right? Yes, because he comes out of nowhere. Because he is in so many other Coen Brothers movies. Right. Because he's the Cyclops. No brother, where art thou? In Barton Fink, his character is revealed at the end to be the devil. Like, <laughs> it's you really kind of have to wonder. Oh, are they doing the thing they do with John Goodman, where they're making him a supernatural character? Right. And it, I think it could be. They, they leave it very ambiguous. It, you couldn't put it past the Coen brothers to tie in something, like, so over the top and so ridiculous and yet worm it into an amazingly put-together movie where it actually works, where, like, this this fat piece-of-shit jazz musician could actually be a, a voodoo dude who <laughs> cast a witch doctor yeah. type of... <laughs> so, uh, so, yeah, I just wanted to end on that. And, um... You got anything else to say there, Colin? Uh, my one other thing is I just want to talk about, like, initial reactions to this movie, because, um, the first time I watched it, I was like, okay, I've got some time, I'm gonna get a little bit high, I sit down and watch this movie, and I was just sitting there enraptured by it. Like, just completely taken away by this movie. I had to pause in the middle because my wife came home with the car that she wants to buy and I had to look at it and everything. But I, I went back to watching it and she kind of sat down and was half watching the last third of it with me. Um, and at the end of it, 
I was just like, holy shit. That was like, oh brother, where art thou good? That mm. was like crazy, crazy good. And the next day I was like, I don't know if I can necessarily off of just that viewing say it's oh brother, where art thou good? So I was watching something else and I was like, you know what? I'm just going to watch it again. I'm just going to watch it again, like literally the next day. <laughs> and so I start watching it again and my wife comes home and she's like, are you watching that movie again? <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I am. Because I have to confirm if it's as good as I thought it was. And after the second viewing, I was still like just thinking, yeah, this is like, oh brother, where art thou level of good. Hmm. Like I, I would put it in probably my top five, maybe even top three Coen Brothers movies. I, I, I would agree. Um, not to sound like Devin right now, but... Uh, <laughs> or not to sound like Amy. I've been trying to avoid saying it's true. It's true, man. <laughs> um, no. Uh, I, what, what hit me was the cinematography right off the bat. Is It starts off with this amazing song, and then the cinematography of this like smoky, like tiny little New York venue. And I, I was looking it up in the middle of it to see if it was Roger Deakins, and it wasn't. Because I, I was so sure that it was Roger Deakins because they work with him so much. Mm -hmm. I was like, this the cinematography is so good. Like, this probably is Roger Deakins, and it's someone I've never heard of. But. Right. And, and it, it was it was someone that, you know, I mean, like, Wes Anderson to me is like the master of framing. But this yeah. guy, like, he, he really used that stuff. You know, like, the long hallway shots and, like, yeah. shots through doorways and... And, uh, and, you know, using, using people smoking as like an art, you know, as a, like a border and stuff. It, it was, it was really, really well done how it was shot. Um, and, uh, I think, uh, yeah. I would say if you really love, I also love Wes Anderson's framing. I think he's like really, really great at just putting like shots together and all that stuff. I would say revisit Oh Brother, Where Art Thou in Fargo. Like just watch these Coen Brothers movies that are shot by Deacons. Because mm -hmm. it, it, it's another one of those things where you're just like, holy shit, this guy's good at framing. <laughs> <laughs> like he was nominated for an Oscar for Fargo. Oh yeah, no, that's true. All right, um, I think that will wrap up our first attempt at a podcast. I think we are over, a little bit over half an hour. Hope this turned out.